listeners may find the following content disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, y'all, yins and yens. Welcome to the Appalachian Crime Trail podcast. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Nikki. I'm going to give a special shout out. Hello, my chickens. Uh, if that sounds really weird, but they know who they are. So that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez Louise. What a week. Two weeks it has been. It's been like crazy. Well, no, I mean, I'm just talking in my life. The past oh, two okay. Weeks have been insane yeah. for work. And I'm just like, oh, I need a nap. I need a nap. I need a nap. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. <laughs> yes. 50 hours this week definitely requires extra sleeping. I did not go into work until... 4.30 yesterday. Still have worked 50 hours. Didn't go into work till 4.30. And I slept until 12.30. Like, oh. I think I woke up at like 8 and I was like, nope. And Not I went today, back to sleep. <laughs> I went back to sleep and I woke up and then I like laid in my bed for probably an hour. And then I was like, okay, I got to go grocery shopping. I should probably do that. Um, Let's see. What else is new this week? Nothing. Fall finally hit. Did it though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say so. I was literally, so Chris and I were sitting on the couch earlier today, and I was looking out through the kitchen window, and all of a sudden I just see the leaves fall, and I was like, oh, I haven't actually noticed leaves falling yet. That's the first day. I I literally hadn't. I mean, I know they are. They're on the ground out here. I All my leaves fell off my tree in, like, September when it was 70 degrees because really? they were in a drought. <laughs> so, oh, well, yeah. Um, but I did notice as I was driving here that there yeah. were... Um, leaves on the road and I was like is it gonna storm but then oh I was my yeah and then I was like no wait it's fall maybe that's just a normal thing to happen yeah. so. but no it was so weird because we were sitting on the couch and I was like oh I think it's the first time I've actually noticed them falling like off the tree so far and here we are almost the end of October but nothing really yeah. like turned here until like I swear like two weeks ago if that hmm. Like, probably a week and a half ago. And it was like, there's red, yellow, orange everywhere. So Yeah, I think the, the whole drought thing has not no, helped that. I'm just glad that we finally have gotten rain. Because, I, I mean, we've got, like, plenty of springs on the property here. But I was, like, legit worried. Because I can't remember it being, like, the river being as low as it was. It was insane. It's still low. I mean, oh, like, yeah. it's better. But it's still low. And... <laughs> there's there's a creek on the way to my house and you can still see like everything and you can see where the water normally hits mm-hmm. and then it, it has not gotten there yet but the river is much much better Greenbrier river is better but i think we're still technically in a drought so, well this i guess halloween will have happened by the time this episode hits and we put mm-hmm. up our halloween episode Ooh, Ooh, spooky. spooky um <laughs> Are you dressing up for Halloween? Um, I don't know. Because, see, Chris and I have a tradition where we usually just, like, sit at home and watch the movie Halloween on Halloween mm-hmm. night. So, we're, he actually took off work. Because he was supposed to work 24 hours on Halloween. And so, he actually took off work. So, we'll get to watch it. But, I don't know. Because, see, they do the truck or treat local. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if the group I work with was going to set up at the trunk or treat or not. So if they do, I might go down and help with it for a little bit. And then I'll definitely have to dress up for it. But right. I'm not sure what the hell I'd be. It, it, I mean, because I always like to try to do like historical women. But I'm just like right. at a roadblock. Plus I have like nothing prepared. So <laughs> My best friend 
which is very odd to see her in this, posted a photo. And it looks like something that we would have worn in a play in mm-hmm. school. And she's dressed up as like a pioneer woman. Nice. And, like, <laughs> I thought at first she was dressed up as like the pioneer woman, uh, like the woman on oh, the food okay. channel. <laughs> but um, she was doing the literal interpretation. Right. But then it loaded and I was like, that's not what it is no. at all. Um, I mean, it was fine, but it was just very interesting. Oh, I, I just realized. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. No, I, I just was going to say I have three Halloween costumes, so. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, they're not done yet, but I find, I went to Goodwill today and basically nice. found what I could. And I will be, one day, it will be a cactus. Wait, you're dressing up three days? I, I love this. For, yeah. For work. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it'll be a cactus one day. I'll be, what's that guy from The Breakfast Club? The Bender? Yeah. I'm going to be Bender from nice. Breakfast Club. <laughs> and then uh, one day I will be that kid from Up. Oh, who... the <laughs> But I still have to That's put awesome. them all together. There's still some things I have to get. And then there's another day I could dress up, but... I also don't know if I'm going to because mm-hmm. there's some other stuff that, like, it probably wouldn't be appropriate to dress up for um, happening on Halloween. So, unfortunately, on Halloween, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to dress up. But I will get to dress up for three days. And I know that someone that I will see is dressing up as a squirrel. Like, full-on awesome. squirrel. Like, awesome. tail, everything. I'm oh very gosh. excited. So. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I just thought, looking on Instagram and I saw where people were doing this. So, you know how, like... On My Favorite Murder, they did the, uh, Karen told the story of the Mothman a few weeks ago or whatever yeah. it was. Well, you know that MFM Animated has done, like, a little animated short of that. I heard that. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Oh, just... So, like, the little animated thing. People have been dressing up, like, the animated version of the Mothman from that, and it's freaking hilarious. And I'm pretty sh- Oh, you've got it! You're bowing! Yay! I had a bow earlier. It fell out. That's okay. Nikki got me, like, a Mothman clip for my birthday. It's fantastic. In my hair. It's fantastic. Yeah. But I think I might dress up as, like, the Mothman for that. I mean, I know. just wear a black dress, some wings, and, and... I know. I just got, like, a long black dress that I'm planning on wearing on Halloween, and so... <laughs> yeah. You just, just need the red to... eyes. Yeah. And get, like, some of those round sunglasses that are, like, <gasps> red lens or whatever. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I will dress up as the Mothman. <laughs> Do it. Maybe that's what I'll do on the moth lady. Thursday. <laughs> there you go. That would be in, like discreet AF. Yeah. So. And then I could, because I thought on Thursday, like, I'll just be a witch and then I can wear all black. Although I don't know. I do have witchy clothes, but like, I always want to wear a tutu when I'm a witch. It can be like a cute witch. But. Whereas I want to do Stevie Nicks proud and like wear like. <laughs> I do want to just <laughs> wear black. And yeah. And so black. I honestly thought about going to Walmart and just being like, what do they have? I don't want to purchase it because it's expensive to purchase like oh actual gosh. costumes. But yeah. I think I need a better witch hat than I currently have. So. So. Amazing. Just see all the creatures. All the creatures, great and small. And flying and creepy, too. Is this a real song? No. Oh, okay. I'm just making up. You know I'm making up my own songs all the time. You know, I know that. And we talked about that last 
important. Everybody should feel bad for you for the fact that <laughs> you have to hear it twice and no. three times. Well, what's funny <laughs> is when I'll edit, just FYI, I edit, sorry for shit editing sometimes, <laughs> most of the time, but... No, it's fantastic and there's no way in hell um, I can do it. <laughs> well, what's funny is I'll be listening to the podcast and then I'll laugh in the same spot and then the, hear myself <laughs> laugh because I'm listening to it and I still think it's funny and then I'll laugh again in the like, like oh, recording oh, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. okay. But sometimes there's, there's a lot of times we, there might just be, maybe eventually we'll release like bloopers or something because I cut so much stuff out of the podcast, like not because like I want to, but because they would be so freaking long and also they would not make sense. (laughs) Um, But I have to cut a lot of stuff out to like keep it within like a reasonable amount of time, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. A lot of it's our banter. Sometimes it's just like random stuff, but I think I go on and on and on. (laughs) Yeah. And then I texted Nikki the other night and I said, I just cut out a minute of us, of nothing, and then us singing God Bless America. <laughs> like, it was the weirdest thing. And so I'm, like, basically, like, clicking on the section and, like, just following it, letting it play while I wait till it ends because we're just, oh, I think we were waiting for one of us to, like, find something. And so we're just singing God Bless America. And we never got to the end of the song. And then we started the podcast again. It was very weird. Oh, but gosh. that's, that's like enjoyable. We, hopefully we don't get too kooky tonight because it is later in the evening we're recording. and that's true. Although it might be pretty funny. Anything else? No. I feel like I'm terrible at carrying conversation today. And it's probably because I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but of, that's okay. I think it's because we're both so tired, though, too. And yeah. it's just been... You especially. My God. I What's surprising is that I haven't had coffee in probably like a week. So and we don't want to give it to you at eight o'clock no, at night but because then you'll be like, "What?" I used to be super caffeinated, and I tried to go off caffeine, and I got sick. So then this mm. week I've been drinking more tea, and I yeah, I just am trying not to drink coffee as much as much as I love coffee so much. So we're each trying to give up something. You're trying to give up some caffeine, and I'm trying to give up smoking. So they're both drugs. Yeah, yeah, they for are for sure. People don't think they are, but caffeine. Is a drug. So is sugar is just as addictive as drugs oh, too. Gosh, so yeah. like, there's a lot of things. Addiction. Oh, gosh, That's yeah. a whole other topic. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, addiction in Appalachia. Let's delve into that. No, oh just boy. Well, do you want to go ahead and get started on our Kentucky cases? Yep. Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. I don't know the rest of that song. I don't know what you're singing. You've never heard Blue Moon of Kentucky? No, and I lived there for three years. Uh, Well, then you need to uh, Google it and then insert a little snippet of that song into here. We'll get yelled at by the people. If it's less than 30 seconds, we're fine. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Okay. Sure. Cool. Uh, All right, well, let's get started. Okay. So my case today is um, about what is conned America's first serial killers. And I think 
while, yeah, we're breaking all the rules today, um, there are victims in this story that they do know about. It's kind of like a foundation of people who like research true crime and I didn't know about it. And it's not something you think about. I honestly really thought that like serial killers didn't exist till like, I mean, in, in mass, they really didn't exist till seventies and eighties, but that's because that's not true. Like there are so many people that are technically serial killers that have occurred throughout history, at least in America. And if you go on Murderpedia, I find it hilarious that Murderpedia, maybe it's because it's run by Americans. I don't know. It has like countries and then the U.S. They just go ahead and dissect by state. (laughs) Yeah, because we suck. These are two men. A lot of this information is just kind of like what they think happened. Some of it they do have records of, but some of it they don't. So just know that. It may conflict with other information that you research if you research this story. So Joshua Harper and William Harper were born around 1750 in North Carolina in Orange County to Scottish parents. They don't know the exact dates. They do know that um, Joshua was older than William. Eventually, these two, what also they call at some point river pirates, um, (laughs) which is my favorite. Thing I've ever heard. That's what I'm um, be, yeah, right? a river pirate. Yeah, because it's like we're serial killers, murderers, highwaymen, and river pirates. That's fantastic. <laughs> but they changed their last name to H A R P E. I'm just going to say Harp for the sake of this podcast so I don't sound stupid. And maybe that is me sounding stupid. But they eventually changed their last name to Harp, these two. And then Joshua uh, went by Big, and then William went by Little. So basically, what they can tell from the Harps killing sprees is that they just did it because they wanted to kill people. I mean... Like, that's literally the reason they did it, because you'll hear some of these stories, and you'll be like, this wasn't to get money, this wasn't to get... This wasn't to survive, this... This was because these people are horrible human beings and just wanted to kill people. Great! Yeah, it's gonna be a fun (laughs) ride. I'm gonna try to not be super graphic, and it may be a short story, because they do know about some of the victims, Mm -hmm. and some of them they don't, because they know for sure that they had killed at least about 39 people, but they may have killed up to 50 which is insane to think about. So it's possible that the Hart brothers were also not actually born in North Carolina, but were born in Scotland and immigrated. Don't you love records? I mean, this was also, you have to remember, this was like before America was like a country. So we were just trying to, to get along, we survive, to along. and we killed a lot of people and it was just, you know, a hot mess. But, <laughs> um, so the, but... I will say that the the Harper um, men were loyal to the British crown. They um, they did not want to have anything to do with this whole new country. So that makes me also think that they probably didn't immigrate or maybe they did immigrate from Scotland and were like, fuck this. Yeah. Let's go back, but stay here. I don't know. And <laughs> so they were loyal to England and they... They participated in the American Revolution, which if you don't know what that is and you're not from America to our Canada, our Canadian listener, and I think there's another country now that's like on there too. What? But it's still like less than 1%. Anyway, to those of you that aren't in America, that was where like the U.S. and England were fighting and trying to let the U.S. was like, we want to be our own country. And then England was like, I am the king and I will not let you be (laughs) 
history lesson again. Last oh week, God, Civil War. Last week was the Civil War. This week is uh, the, the American Revolution. Um, oh, and if you watch Schoolhouse Rock, Shot Heard Around the World, that's a good yeah. um, song to listen to to learn about the Revolutionary War. <coughs> but basically, they were like, eh, fight. Or you could listen to Hamilton. That also would give Hamilton's you an idea. Yeah. And then in the end, obviously, the United States of America exists. It doesn't mean that like we should exist. I don't know. We're kind of a shit country right now, going to be honest. Anyway, they it said that they participated in the Revolutionary War, but they don't really know exactly where they were. According to one eyewitness account, they had joined a rape gang. Um, in North Carolina, which took part in kidnapping three girls. One of the girls, there was a fourth girl that was rescued by a captain. But these gangs basically would steal, murder, burn and destroy uh, property, especially farms of any of the colonists that were like, yes, America. And then this gang was like, yes, England. At some point, these, these lovely assholes kidnapped a woman named Susan Wood, and later, she became one of their wives. So the, all their wives were kidnapped. And what? so, yeah. So they end up calling this, like, the Harp Gang. And I don't really know if I would call it a gang. I would call it these two guys and the people that, unfortunately, were there. Yeah. Them. Because then the when they die... Spoiler alert. And so then the women go on to live like, yeah, but the women go on to live normal lives after they're like freed from them. So, I mean, I don't know to what case that they were involved in this. So Susan was kidnapped and by big, big harp. So basically um, the, the Hart brothers would like impersonate like militia um, and they were also serving loosely as militia under the British Legion during certain battles. Uh, they participated in battles against all the patriots and would kill them just basically for shits and giggles. Like oh, it, it was like, we're part of the military, but really we're going to kill you. <laughs> There's a lot of battles that I don't really care about, so I'm not going to talk about them. (laughs) So there were a lot of battles that they, like, took part in and killed a bunch of people. And then this is my favorite quote from the article that I wrote, ugh, next to. says, during this span of time, they kidnapped Maria Davison and later Susan Wood and made them their women. Oh, hell So we already talked about Susan Wood, but they also kidnapped Maria Davison. They were unfortunately just made to tag along in this horrible adventure that was happening. They lived with Native Americans, actually, for a while, which I find very interesting. Um, I think from what I understand, it was like rogue Native Americans. I don't know if that's the proper terminology, but I think maybe just people that had like left their tribe because i think you forget too that like native americans were around when the whole revolutionary war was going on i that's not something they talk about in school though oh yeah true you know yes just where i like delve into like right well it's like, just uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff they just leave out and you're you're kind of forgetting there well, are other groups of people that are still here and it's not just england and the people that came over on yeah. the mayflower the jamestown that was a whole different... <laughs> wow no, I'm joking. I was about to say, that was what Jamestown, like, died. No. Yeah? No. 
No, that's Krakatoa. So during this time, they're kind of living in Tennessee. So they've migrated through a lot of Appalachia. And then they are stealing food and supplies from local pioneers. And then there's a period of time from like 1794 to 95 that they're not really sure. And 96, though they're not really sure where they're at. They can't really trace them. But then they know that by the spring of 19... No, the spring of 1797 that they were in a cabin in Knoxville. And during this time, Little Harp married Sarah Rice. And they know that because it's recorded in the Knox County marriage records. Mm -hmm. And then 1797 was basically where they were like, all right, we're no longer going to kill people because we're part of the military because obviously 1776 Mm -hmm. is much later than this. They were like, we are going to go do it ourselves. So... This is where they start, like, calling them, like, the harp gang or band of harps, which I just, the guys seem to be doing most of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the women participated. It's not really uh, stated, but I just want to throw that out there. Then the harp guys were like, we're going to steal hogs and horses. And Knoxville was like, get the fuck out of here. And they chased <laughs> them away. <laughs> Knoxville said, fuck you. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah. Good job, Knoxville. So then this starts them being accused of murdering people and people are starting to catch on to these horrible men that are committing all these atrocities. Mm -hmm. So they were accused of murdering a man named Johnson whose body was found in a river and he had been ripped open and weighted with stones. Ew. But this was basically what they did. They butchered anybody that they, like, killed because... They didn't care. Even babies. Yeah, they they didn't care who they killed. This included Big Harp bashing his infant's daughter's head against a tree because her crying annoyed him. His own daughter? And this is the only crime that he had remorse for. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's not remorseful when you bash someone's head against a tree. So from Knoxville, they went into Kentucky, and then they were near Cumberland Gap. They think there that they murdered a person named Peyton and they took some of his horse and his goods. And then they murdered two people from Maryland that were just traveling through. In December, they murdered the two travelers from Maryland. And then next, uh, a man named John Langford, who was going from Virginia to Kentucky, turned up dead. And a local innkeeper pointed that the harps probably were possible for this to the authorities. And so the authorities were, they got them. And they put them in a jail in Danville, Kentucky. But then the Harps escaped. Of course they did. So then they sent out people after them. And then the young son of a man who assisted the authorities was found dead and mutilated in retaliation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. These are just some other stories. Like, it's there's a lot that goes on through this historical timeline mm-hmm. that I'm not going to cover. I'm just trying to bring in some of the atrocities that they did because Mm -hmm. they're pretty bad. So they took the wives because they had three wives in total. And then there were three children. And they went up to along the Ohio River to basically mess with the Samuel Mason gang, who were people who preyed on slow moving boats, making their way along the river. And even the Samuel Mason gang was like, guys, this is awful. Please don't do this. <laughs> and it's like y'all are crazy. Yeah. So because the harps would make a habit of taking travelers to the top of the bluff, stripping them naked and then throwing them off. And then the Mason game was like, get out, like go away. We don't want you here. Oh and so God. the Hart brothers left. So the Hart brothers then went back to Eastern Tennessee 
where they killed a farmer named Bradbury, a man named Hardin, and a boy named Coffee in July of 1798. And then they f- kept finding more bodies that they were associated with these crimes. So one man named William Bollard was disemboweled and thrown into the Holton River. A man named James Brassel had his throat slashed. John Telly was another one of their victims. John Graves and his teenage son were found dead with their heads axed in in South Central Kentucky. And then the Harps killed a little girl, a young slave and an entire family that were asleep in their camp yeah oh and this is one of the ones that really made me cringe a lot so there was there are multiple people that were found disemboweled Mm -hmm. because apparently that was the fun thing to do and in webster county the pair killed an overnight guest named major william love and then also killed Mrs. Moses Stegall's four-month-old baby boy whose throat was slit when he was crying. And then Mrs. Stegall, you know, freaked out because yeah. they killed the infant in front of her. And so they killed her, too. These are a lot of atrocities committed by these guys. They suck really bad. And they were eventually caught. Well, one of them was killed. And then the other one was caught. So in July of 1799, there was basically a scuffle between John Leapier, who was pissed because uh, Mrs. Stiegel, the woman whose baby's throat was slit and her were killed. And he and Moses Stiegel, the husband, were like, let's get these fuckers. And so um, Leaper got to Harp first and shot Big Harp. Mm-hmm. And then... They decapitated him and stuck, uh huh. Well, he kind of deserved it. At and that point. stuck his head on a pole, nice. at a crossroads that is still known as Harp's Head in <laughs> Webster County, Kentucky. Well, we're going there. Thank or you. Harp's Head Road. <laughs> we are going there. <laughs> so then, little Harp was like, "Peace out. I'm gonna go run now." And he used the alias of John Sutton until he was caught in an effort to get the reward for himself. Wait, what? Yeah. He tried to get the reward that was being offered on himself. Yeah, he was like, I am Samuel Mason, and um, I'm claiming this reward for this guy. Can we please just, and, like... And they were like, no. And so they oh captured him. <laughs> like, how fucking stupid was this, dude? It's like, yes, um, I'm trying to get this gentleman that is, you know, going around, like, killing and beheading and gutting people open, so give me the money. And they're like, uh, fuck you. We know it's you. Come here. You're in handcuffs. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> Asshole. Pretty much. So they captured him in 1803, and then he was tried Yay. and hanged in February of 1804. Yay! Um, yes. Thank God. <laughs> so they were able, like, uh, they were able to get the record that they did commit about mm-hmm. 39, mm-hmm. but they do think it's about 50. But after, like, the Hartmen were, you know, killed and stuff, the women led pretty normal lives mm-hmm. and so when big harp was killed little harp went into hiding you know and on the run and then the women were taken to, were caught i don't know and taken um to a state courthouse in kentucky and released and sally went back to live with her dad in tennessee um susan and Maria um, lived in Russellville, Kentucky. Uh, it, it's shown that Susan remarried and later died in Tennessee. Maria Davison, who was also known as Betsy Roberts Harp, because I don't know, remarried and moved with her husband to Canada. Which, girl, I feel yeah, I'd move to Canada too if that shit happened to me. I mean, right? <laughs> um, so they 
they lived pretty normal lives. Some of them had more kids. I mean, I can't imagine going through that and trying to lead a normal life. Oh. That was kind of a shit show. It, it, it is a shit show in terms of just reading it though. Like, yeah. and trying to understand what they did because basically they were like, all right, we want to find every way possible to kill anyone and anything. And we don't care. And it's just, Ugh. it's like whatever. I feel like it's kind of like game of Thrones where people oh, just yeah, die yeah, for yeah, no reason. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's this case. So that's my case for this week related to Kentucky about America's first serial killer. So, before I start, um, today is my Boston Terrier, Lily's 13th birthday. Happy birthday to you! She is a little old lady teenager today. So, anyways, just had to remember to say that because I love my Lulu. My story today is on the standard graveyard shooting in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, this story is a wild one and it's sad and it's terrible because it shouldn't have happened. But, um, we have a big issue with mass shootings in this country and I just kind of wanted to spotlight one that I actually had not really heard about before. So, yeah. Um, and my source from this is strictly from Wikipedia. I got this whole article from there. So, um, on September 14th, 1989... A man by the name of Joseph Westbecker. He is an employee of Standard Gravier, which is was a prominent printing company um, in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it was founded in 1922 by Barry Bingham Sr., but reduced revenues led to an employee wage freeze in 1982, and in 1986, the Bingham family sold the company. Standard Graveyard's customers were mainly retailers, uh, many of which were in the process of going out of business, and at the same time, paper shortages were occurring in the marketplace. So, just a little background on this time frame for this company. But on September 14th, 1989, Joseph Westbecker, he was nicknamed Rocky by his colleagues. He went and parked his car in front of the main entrance of the standard gravier company and entered the plant at 8.30 a.m. On him, he was carrying the following weapons, a Polytech AK-47S, um, which is a Chinese-made semi-automatic version of, or semi-automatic AK-47 derivative. Um, he also had a six-hour 9mm pistol on him and a duffel bag containing two M, I think it's, just MAC-11s, a snub-nosed 38 caliber Smith & Wesson model, airweight revolver, a bayonet, and several hundred rounds of ammunition. Um, he took the elevator to the executive reception area on the third floor, and then as soon as the doors opened, he just fired at the receptionist mm. um, and killed her. The I want to go ahead and list the victims, the name of the victims, before I get into this, because it'll talk about the victims throughout the story, like, at certain times where he was at and who he shot, because, I mean, it literally goes into detail on here. Um, So, here is a list of our victims and their ages, because they definitely need to be known. I don't have the background on them, unfortunately, and I apologize for that. Um, I know that we try to be more, like, victim-centered, but with this one where it was, like, it's 
crazy because it's like one of it's I think it's the most uh casualties in a mass shooting in Kentucky but I honestly had never heard of it before well and it took place in the 80s right um yeah it was so in 89 that so that also contributes yeah. to information but here are the names of the victims and their ages we have Richard O. Barger he was 54 years old Kevin Fentress he is 45 years old William Ganote, G-A-N-O-T-E, he is 46. James G. Husband, who's 47. Sharon L. Needy, who's 49. Paul Sally, and he was 59. Lloyd White, he was 42. And James F. Weibel Sr., and he was 56 at the time of this. Um, And those are the names of the victims that were killed during the shooting. So as I said, he... Got off the elevator on the third floor, and as soon as the door is open, he fired at receptionist Sharon Needy, whom he killed, and Angela Bowman, who he paralyzed with a shot in the back. So Angela survived, but she was paralyzed after this. He went on searching for Standard Gravier's president, Michael Shea, and other supervisors and managers of the plant. Apparently, Wes Becker calmly walked through the hallways and was deliberately shooting at people. He killed James' husband and injured the following people, Forrest Conrad, Paul Warman, and John Stein. John Stein was a binary supervisor whom he shot in the head and abdomen. Wes Becker then headed down the stairs to the press room where he killed Paul Sally and wounded Stanley Hatfield and David Sadenfaden. S-A-D-E-N-F-A-D-E-N. I apologize if I did not... pronounced that correctly and those two gentlemen were two electricians from marine electric who were working on a broken machine there so they weren't even really employees of standard graveyard he then left his duffel bag under a stairwell and uh, west becker walked down to the basement where he encountered pressman john tingle who was alerted by the loud noises and went to see what was going on Tingle greeted Wes Becker and asked him what was happening. Wes Becker replied, Hi, John. I told them I'd be back. Get away from me. After Tingle moved out of the way, Wes Becker continued his path through the basement, shooting Richard Barger in the back, and that killed him. Um, According to witnesses of this shooting, Wes Becker approached Barger's body and apologized, having apparently killed him accidentally, he said as he could not see who he was shooting. And then back on the press room floor, he went back and he shot at anyone in his way. And during this time when he went back on the press room floor, he killed uh, James Weibel and Lloyd White. Then he finally entered the break room where he emptied his magazine, hitting all seven workers that were present in the break room. And in this, he killed William Ganote with a shot to the head. Wes Becker then reloaded his weapon and resumed firing Um, And then with this, when he resumed firing, he fatally wounded Kenneth Fentress. Wes Becker then returned to the press room where he pulled out his Sig Sauer, that was the pistol, put it under his chin and shot himself. And this ended the shooting spree, of course. And all total time on this, the shooting spree actually lasted for about uh, half an hour is all. He was only there for 30 minutes. But during that 30 minutes, he had fired about 40 rounds. Um, and he left eight people dead, the eight people enlisted, and 12 wounded. One person during this wasn't wounded directly from a bullet, but they did suffer a heart attack during it. When police searched Wes Becker's house, they recovered a shotgun, a Colt 9mm revolver, a 32 caliber revolver, and a starter's pistol. They found Wes Becker's will, 
as well as an issue of Time Magazine on the kitchen table. The magazine featured an article, article about Patrick Purdy, who had killed five children and injured 30 others with a Type 56 assault rifle, which was essentially the same kind of weapon Wes Becker had used at a school in Stockton, California earlier that year. There is a section a little bit about the shooter, Joseph Westbecker, and normally I wouldn't talk about him, but with how this story ends up and what happened after the fact, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and tell a little bit about him, just because it gives you an idea of what happened in the end after the shooting. So, as I said, Joseph Thomas Westbecker was identified as the shooter. When he was 13 months old, his father, who was a construction worker, died in a fall. And after his father's death, death, he was raised as an only child by his mother, Martha. And his mom was actually only 16 years at the time when his father passed away. And her family, though... Well, she and her family raised him. He was passed around from place to place all during his early childhood. And at one time, he was actually deposited in an orphanage for almost a year. His grandfather, who he was closely attached to, died when he was four years old. Westbecker was a poor student. He dropped out of high school in the ninth grade, but he later managed to go back and get his GED. In 1960, he actually started working as a pressman at uh, the printing plant and married one year later. He had a wife and two sons, and in 1971, he moved to the Standard Gravier Company, where he soon earned a reputation as a determined, hardworking, loyal, and reliable worker. In 1978, though, he started to have a downward slope in his life. Um, he ended up going into, or having a divorce with his wife. He went into a bitter, bitter custody battle, so I think he lost the custody battle, from what I'm understanding, um, and he ended up paying child support and all that fun stuff. That year, he also admitted himself for the first time ever to a hospital to seek psych treatment, psychiatric treatment. He remarried in 1983, but that divorce, or that marriage also ended in a divorce only after one year. Um, he started to become reclusive, suicidal, he separated from most of his family members, and lived an overall, like, lonely life. After the selling of the Standard Graveyard and the management change in 1986, Westbecker was assigned to a mechanical folder. He soon complained about the stress and under undue pressure and asked to be placed back at his old job that he had. That request was denied, and he started to go grow, like, more and more hostile towards, like, the new management there. He also became wary of conspiracies, aimed to harass him, and began to complain about policy changes within the company. He also said that exposure to a chemical there called toluene at work um, had caused, started to cause him memory loss, dizziness, and blackouts. The hostility culminated in 1987, May 1987, um, when Wes Becker... Filed a complaint with the Jefferson County Human Relations Commission stating that he was being harassed and discriminated against for his psychological state and being deliberately put under stressful conditions at work. And then under, after a subsequent exam, um, it was confirmed that Westbecker suffered from depression and manic depression, and this substantiated his claims for mental illness, um, and he was prescribed Prozac. And then in August 1988, Westbecker stopped working and was finally put on a long-term disability leave in February of 1989, though there was also an agreement to reemploy him as soon as he recovered sufficiently enough to be able to work again. Between August of 88 and May of 89, Westbecker brought se bought several weapons and bef shortly before the shooting happened, he presumably received a letter from the company announcing their cancellation of his disability income. 
So, as I said, um, Westpacker was on Prozac, and what happened was, in August of 1989, less than a month before the shooting, like I said, he had started taking Prozac. The wounded and the families of those that were killed filed a lawsuit against the drugs manufacturer, manufacturer Eli Lilly and Company, claiming that Westpacker's use of Prozac contributed to his actions. Um, the case went to jury trial. Midway through, though, defense testimony opened a door that would have allowed plaintiffs to make their to make known to the jury Lilly's 1985 conviction for failing to report to the Federal Food and Drug Administration adverse reactions to Oriflex, another Lilly drug. The plaintiffs and Lilly then negotiated an agreement, which they concealed from the trial judge. The trial continued, and plaintiffs never introduced the precedent of Lilly's conduct with the with respect to the prescription Oriflex. The jury decided in Eli Lilly and company's favor, and when plaintiffs failed to appear, uh, a suspecting Judge Potter uncovered the concealed agreement, so he found out about the concealed agreement that had happened. With unanimous authorization from Kentucky Supreme Court, he succeeded in amending the court record to show that the case was resolved by settlement rather than jury verdict. So they ended up, Eli Lilly and company ended up uh, settling out of court with the plaintiffs um, for an uh, like an undisclosed amount instead of letting it go to jury and all that. But yeah, I mean, it's sad because this shouldn't happen either way, obviously. But the fact that, you know, he had known mental illness and granted this was 1989, so it was a whole different time period. But you still hear like echoes of that nowadays. Because it's not only, like, you have to do, like, background checks on people just to make sure they haven't been convicted so they can't have firearms. But this dude, I mean, he went and he was stockpiling arms, like, firearms before this even happened. Um, And he had known mental issues. And just the fact that, you know, possibly the medicine he was put on caused him to downward spiral even more. And it's just... It was like a lose-lose situation. Like, it's a lose definitely for the victim, his victims. But then almost to a point, it's like a lose situation for him too because, you know, his, I guess his issues weren't treated like they should have been. And it, granted, it was another time and place, but it makes you go, God, how many people are walking around like that now to where it's like, oh God, you know, they need help and they can't get the help they need and... I don't know. It's it's kind of a bummer case, and I'm so sorry because it's just like, but it's just I don't know. It's just sad. It's sad all around. So it is. Just want to add a disclaimer that like just because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean that no. they're gonna go no shoot somebody. But no, it is unfortunate with people aren't treated. Mental health care is not treated well in this country. Unfortunately. Yeah, and especially in Appalachia. I mean, it's just. You look at there go are, to church, pray it away. Yeah, you pray the pray the sad away, but it's I mean it's sorely needed in the whole country. And then when you see a case like this, that yeah, it was nineteen eighty one or eighty nine, but that shoot that was only thirty years ago. I mean that's not that long ago if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like how far have we come? Not too far, really, if you think right. about it. So. Anyways, that's my case for today. Sorry, it's a bummer. (laughs) And mine's not that much better. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) All 
right. So our cold case this week, um, it's actually several cold cases in one because it all revolves around one town. It'll make sense once I explain it here in a minute. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town about an hour south of Louisville. It's got a population of over 14,000 and it was voted the most beautiful small town in America. And it boasts the title of being the bourbon capital of the world um, because there are six major distilleries in the town itself. However, um, these crimes, because it's um, murders and missing persons, they're known as either the Bardstown murders or the Nelson County murders. Um, and it's five unsolved deaths and disappearances, all that happened within this town's limits. So our first, I guess cold case you would say in this also so before just to have a little funny moment because I need it after my week I've had prior to this rash of like unsolved unsolved high profile murders the counties around Bardstown were home to quote unquote the cornbread mafia which was rural farmers turned drug traffickers who at their peak ran the largest marijuana production operation in the United States. I know. Like, literally, when I I was like, wait, what? The Cornbread Mafia? Yeah. Had the largest marijuana production in the whole U.S. And they were just, like, regular farmers, and then they turned into drug traffickers. I was like, holy shit. So, and of course, as you know, like, Kentucky has a lot of the same issues that West Virginia have has with like the drug epidemic and all that and they think authorities think that the drug trade has played a part in these murders slash missing persons cases in bardstown but they cannot confirm it the first killing happened um in 2013 and that was the murder of 33 year old bardstown police officer jason ellis um and that happened may 25th 2013 um he was a seven-year veteran of the department and a member of the canine unit He had just gotten off work and was driving home when he found a stack of freshly cut tree limbs blocking the road at his exit off of the Bluegrass Parkway. After exiting his police cruiser to investigate it, he was ambushed. And according to police officers, um, Ellis was fatally shot multiple times with a 12-gauge shotgun. Well, this article that I'm... And the article I got is from Oxygen.com, by the way. It came out in 2018. Um, In the five years since Ellis's murder, police had interviewed countless of people of interest connected with the case and pursued several leads, but none have led to any arrest. In August of 2013... Branch Shekels, a member of the Bardstown Money Gang, claimed the street gang was responsible for Ellis's murder. And uh, Branch is a nephew of Bill Shekels, Bardstown's mayor at the time. Bardstown PD, however, dismissed the group's claims, with then-police chief Rick McCubbin calling them a bunch of punks, quote-unquote, and that they were trying to, like, empower themselves by claiming they killed a cop. So, in April of 2014, nearly a year after Ellis's murder, uh, Bardstown again was rocked by a brutal double homicide, this time of 48-year-old Kathy Netherland and her 16-year-old daughter Samantha. Um, Their bodies were discovered by Kathy's father after she failed to show up for work at Bardstown Elementary School. 
um, and she worked there as a special education teacher. Following their autopsies, it showed that Kathy had been shot multiple times while Samantha had been bludgeoned about the head, with both women showing that they had knife wounds knife wounds to their necks. Kentucky State Police had no suspects or motive for the Netherlands murders. The only possible clue that they had in those murders was that there was a black Chevy Impala, which had been actually filmed near the crime scene on April 21st, 2014, which was the night of the murder. And within months of the murders, police had searched more than 90 cars in the area that matched that vehicle's description. Um, on the first anniversary of the murders, the Netherland family increased the reward for information about the killings from twenty five hundred to five, uh, from twenty five hundred dollars to fifty thousand dollars. But even with that incentive, they're still unsolved. The next case is the disappearance of thirty five year old Crystal Rogers. Rogers was last seen on July third, two thousand fifteen, at the home that she shared with her boyfriend Brooks Hauk, their two year old son, and other children. It says two days. Later, her mother reported her missing. Like, two days after she was last seen, her mom reported her missing. Um, and on that same day that she was reporting missing, her car was found abandoned along the blue Bluegrass Parkway with a flat tire, and her belongings were still in it. Roger's parents immediately were vocal that they suspected Brooks Houck, her boyfriend. And complicating that investigation was the fact that Houck's brother, Nick, was an officer with Bardstown Police at that time. And actually, that October, Nick Houck, the brother of Brooks Houck, was fired from the police force for allegedly interfering with the investigation. And he was accused of warning his brother that detectives planned to interview him and advised him not to speak with them. Um, Nick later said, though, that he, he later told Kentucky State Police that he only contacted his brother to tell him that they might be planning to, quote-unquote, trip him up and he should protect himself. Former Sheriff Ed Mattingly um, actually named Brooks, House a, Brooks Hauk a suspect um, in her disappearance, and he also believes it's actually a homicide. Um, despite those accusations, though, neither Hauk brother has ever been charged with any crimes related to the disappearance of Crystal Rogers. Um, and they both deny any involvement in it. And here, <laughs> in a bizarre twist to Crystal's disappearance, on November 19th, 2016, her father, Tommy Ballard, was shot, was fatally shot in the chest by an unknown gunman while out hunting. Um, he was with his 11-year-old grandson, and he was on family property at the time of his death. Police ruled out the child as the shooter, and they have yet to classify Ballard's death as a homicide. They stated that, you know, it doesn't mean they can't change it to a homicide later, but right. as of right now, it wasn't. In March of 2017, Crystal Rogers' mother, Sherry Ballard, was interviewed by a local station, WDRB, um, and she has come to the conclusion that her daughter's disappearance is probably, she believes that it's because she overheard something maybe that she shouldn't have in connection to the other crimes that have happened. Or, well, actually, she believes that Crystal overheard something she shouldn't have in regards to the murder of Jason Ellis. Um, she went on to say that her husband, Tommy, the one that was killed in the hunting accident, wasn't going to give up looking for their daughter, and he was going to push the department, local department, and she thinks that they knew that. And she thinks that it was all connected. Like, all those cases are connected. 
Um, none of her claims, however, have ever been substantiated. So in May of 2017, the Kentucky State Police hired two retired troopers um, to specifically aid in the investigation of the Bardstown killings. Police haven't ruled out the possibility that the cases might be connected, but they've offered no further details. And in March of 2018, the Kentucky House of Res- Representatives and State Senate passed a resolution honoring the victims of the Bardstown murders. Um, and they are urging witnesses to come forward. A month later in April, new Bardstown Police Chief Kim Krasik, yeah, Krasik, announced the creation of a new anonymous tip line so that she hopes this will encourage people to come forward with any information they might have on the cases. And yeah, so I don't have a case number, but if you know anything about these cases, you can contact um, the Kentucky State Police, the Bardstown Police Department, or any of those there but yeah it's like so crazy because it's a whole town right with all these different cases that aren't solved it's like and i mean yeah it's fourteen thousand people but fourteen thousand for a town is not that big if you think about it like when you're close to like a massive city like louisville Mm -hmm. and it's like why are all these people dead and missing and what the fuck is going on so hopefully you know it'll stir up some they'll be able to stir up some info now that they have a new police chief and all that so Yay. Anyways, that's our cold case this week. <laughs> What's your podcast recommendation? Mm. On an up note. On an up note. Uh, so my podcast recommendation is actually, I'm going to old school because, yeah, I have a habit of going back and listening to like old favorites of mine. And I've recently re-downloaded season one of Serial and that is my recommendation. If you never, if you haven't listened to it, what is wrong with you? If you're listening to us and you haven't listened to Serial, I mean, come on now, y'all. But so Serial season one follows follows Sarah Koenig. She's reporting on um, the case of uh, Adnan Saeed. He's in prison for the murder of his high school girlfriend. He states he's been wrongly convicted. Yada yada. Anyways, you've got to listen to it. It's, I mean, it's what really kind of threw true crime into the spotlight as far as podcasting. So if you've never listened to it, go listen to season one. All three seasons are great. Season three is really, really good too, because they follow a court system. I can't remember what state or where it's at, because it's been a while since I listened to season three, but it's as equally impressive. But season one is the roots of true crime podcasting, if we're being honest, and I love it so much. (laughs) So and yours this week? Mine this week is Bug in a Rug, which sounds really weird, but I actually know the podcasters, Caitlin and Whitney, and their podcast, it's a new podcast, so there's, I think I just looked, there's like five or six episodes out at the time we're recording this, and they talk about creepy things, and they can talk about true crime or paranormal. It's just like all the things that make you maybe not able to sleep at night, which is really cool. And so it's really interesting because I know that they're, I think they're both intending on going in the science field. I know one of them is. So they like have that kind of background, which I think is pretty neat. But yeah, definitely go listen to them. I just check they're on iTunes. So I think that they're on most platforms now. But if not, I know that they're hosting off of Podbean, which I'd never heard of before. Um, But it's a podcasting app. So you can go check them out on there for sure. If it's not on your regular place that you find podcasts. I'm not even sure if we're on every place to find podcasts still like I, there's so many places that pop up, oh, and so it's. I think it's hard to keep track. Oh yeah. But 
Um, if we're not on a place that like you regularly actually want to listen to on podcast or, you know, just let us know, we'll work on getting it. It's hard to get your podcast on certain platforms and it takes a while. So anyway, yeah, that's our podcast recommendations for the week. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Yes. Um, bye. Bye y'all. Thank you for listening to the Appalachian crime trail podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe and download new episodes. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our email is AppalachianCrimeTrail at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.